0: Welcome to NCAGT's podcast. Our mission is to dismantle the they'll be fine myth that often surrounds gifted learners. Our goal is to address the excellence gap faced by high ability students, including those from diverse backgrounds. Join us as we advocate for gifted and talented scholars to unlock their full potential. Please note the ideas and thoughts shared here are as diverse as our guests, not always reflecting the official NCAGT stance. So keep an open mind and let's explore a variety of perspectives together.
1: On today's episode of They'll Be Fine, I had the pleasure of sitting down with the 2023 North Carolina Teacher of the Year, Kimberly Jones. Kimberly has actually already been on our podcast on another episode where we discussed the governor's school. And we're so happy to have her back. She's going to be one of the keynote speakers at the NCAGT conference in March this year. And we're so pumped to have her as one of our speakers. Today's episode is a little bit different than the norm. Usually, we sit down with questions and we go from there. Whereas in this episode, something beautiful happened. Um, Me and Kimberly just began chit-chatting at the beginning of the episode like we normally do with our guests and as we began talking about our day I shared with her that that day I had woken up without power Um, in the area that we live in we've been having a lot of storms and um, just lost power in the area that I live in and I told her I had to brush my teeth using a water bottle and I had to get ready in the dark and use my phone flashlight and all those things um Which is fine, not really the biggest issue in the world. But as we know, sometimes those things can then have an effect on the rest of our day. And I talked to her about how when I got to school, how it's a struggle sometimes to be our best teaching selves, or whether you're a parent or um, an administrator or just whomever, sometimes it's difficult to be the person that you know that your students need when you haven't had a great start to your day. So that's how the conversation began. And it just turned into this beautiful discussion of teacher and student mental health, classroom culture and climate, um, transparency with your students and empathy and, and being real with the people that we're spending as educators a large chunk of our day with. So that's how the conversation began. What you're about to hear is what came of that. and. It was such a treat to hear her inner thoughts and beliefs and opinions on these topics, and it truly shows why she was chosen as Teacher of the Year. She has such a heart for learning, such a heart for um, students and educators, and doing what's best for everybody. So please enjoy this episode with Kimberly Jones. But yeah, and I just feel like, what do we expect it's like, we have to have realistic expectations and and I get like they're children and there's so many of them. And, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, like we spend so much time together so many days out of the year and so many hours of the day. Like we want this to be, I want to enjoy being here and I Absolutely. want them to enjoy being here. And I know for me, I've walked into PD or just learning opportunities that I felt Like I wanted to be there. So then we're going to learn more and soak it in and listen. Then if I hate being here and I feel like they don't understand me or I I don't know, I I feel like, I don't feel like it was like that when I was a kid.
2: It wasn't. It wasn't. (laughs) We were not people and our teachers weren't people. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, there's always, especially when you're younger, there's always that like, my teacher goes home at the end of the day. Like my teacher yeah. has kids. What do you mean? My yeah. teacher goes to the grocery store. Yes. And I was in a small town. So I saw that like, oh my God, there's my teacher at, you know, the pizza yeah. place. What What is this? But yeah, I think that was like, that's just part of growing and maturing and like understanding, like a lack of object permanence. Like you don't just leave a teacher at school. But I do believe that there was like this philosophical barrier that was drawn between students and teachers. And like, this is my role and this is who I always am. And I I am not fully human. Mm -hmm. I, and neither are my students. Like Mm -hmm. I'm not, and not that they didn't care. I think it was just the norm that you didn't take into account, you know, what was going on with the student, even like, and I don't mean in terms of like trauma, like, oh, their house burned down or somebody died or their parents are getting divorced, but like they fell out with their friends
3: Mm
2: -hmm. and at 40, that's not a big deal. I remember that at 15. I remember like having a bad lunch with my friends or they were in a mood or somebody didn't talk to me. And in that moment, that is their world.
1: Yeah, it's big to them.
2: Yes, and so like when their world's not right, it's really hard for them to go, let me care about subject verb agreement or let me care about structure. Yeah, Um, and I think part of our job is to help them regulate that especially by the time they get to me in secondary, part of my job is helping them understand like, yes, all of these emotions are real and valid. The unfortunate reality of life is that we don't get to lean into every emotion we feel when we feel it. Mm -hmm. And part of being an adult is emotional self-regulation and learning how to create some boundaries between, yes, socially, this is crap right now. But I don't want to compound a crappy social situation by falling into, like, academic crisis. Yeah. So how can I still get this done and not have to necessarily perform for my teacher, but still meet my responsibilities? Because that's going to be the rest of your life. Like, there are going to be days when you show up at your job and you didn't have power all night mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or your shout. You can take a hot shower, but y'all still had to be taught mm-hmm. and I still had to show up. Mm-hmm. And it's a difficult day. But the really cool thing about growing as a young adult and maturing is learning that we can do hard things, even when those hard things mean managing our emotions or managing, you know, our, our responsibilities and our mental health. Like there is a way to press through that. Mm -hmm. And when you're young, if nobody models that, you don't learn it. Yeah. I mean, those are, you know, we talk about some of those kids who are like, clearly the world stopped for every feeling they had. Like every time they were sad, clearly (laughs) mom and dad stopped everything to talk about every feeling they had. And part of the nature of, you know, at least public school is it's not one-on-one, it's not five-on-one, it's 20-on-one or 30-on-one. And while your parents might be able to drop everything and go, oh, my God, tell me about tell me why you're not smiling right now. Your chemistry teacher, unfortunately, doesn't have the latitude to do that. And so that can't be an expectation of every person you encounter so how do we begin to learn like what are reasonable expectations for other people for dealing with our emotional needs yes and how can we take care of some of those on our own and again Mm -hmm. like that's not something they told us about in graduate school like that's nothing I've learned in an ed program but it's a huge part of teaching like a huge part of teaching is just Building healthy relationships, but also like teaching kids some of those self care skills that allow them to manage life that is always going to life. Mm-hmm. Whatever that work looks like, if it's academic, if it's an actual job, if it's, you know, my duties to other people, you know, if I'm in a relationship or if I'm a mom or a dad someday. Like you don't get to tell your kids, oh, you don't get to eat today because mom is just not feeling food. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes yeah, got to keep going. Yeah, like sometimes we have duties to other people, and that doesn't mean like our feelings aren't important. But we have to find responsible ways to manage that. Yeah, and and again, that's not something anybody told me. Yeah, I'm thinking. Yeah, Thank I agree. You.
1: I'm thinking back to my first years of teaching where I'm so focused on like the content and I'm so yes. focused on, okay, this is what, and my sister-in-law, she is a BT. She just got out of college. So I felt like she had a better grasp of like behavior and like classroom management. And and she, I feel like is more empathetic and and more in tune to those emotions than I was, mm-hmm. you know, eight years ago when I got out of school. Like, I just feel like I had no concept of how important and how valuable it is to like slow down and, and get to the root of issues to model and be transparent with my own. Like, like if I had a, you know, a bad day or a bad morning, like you said, being transparent with them, like I had one year where I had just a lot of needs in the room, a lot of behavior needs in the room. And it was a struggle. And there were days where I had to pause and breathe and look at the kids and go, let's do some mindful breathing or let's walk outside for a moment or yes, and I, I, and, and, yeah, I just yeah. knew that if I didn't, I was going to lose it and I wasn't going to be the teacher that they needed and we weren't going to get anywhere. And I feel like I didn't know that my first year, like I had pushed through those feelings and emotions. And then I felt like there were times where I lost my cool and I, I shouldn't have, I didn't need to, but I didn't, I didn't know that it was more important and more valuable to pause the lesson and get that under control and model that for them. Because if I'm feeling that way, they're going to feel that way at some times. And they need to know that it's okay to pause and get ourselves under control and and breathe and do whatever we need to do to come back down so that we can actually learn today. And I really wish that they had those conversations in colleges and and maybe they do today, but they didn't when I was there.
2: And I think and not just in colleges, but like in classrooms. I think I have a colleague um, on my teacher of the year team who talks about, um, even with her fourth graders, she talks about very basic brain science mm-hmm. of what parts of our brain do different things. Like, what does your cerebellum do? What does your cerebral cortex do? What does, you know, the base of your spine do? What do these people, places control? Um, Very, very basic, of course, and age appropriate, but neurology and helping kids understand that like the thinking part of your brain and the feeling part of your brain are different parts. And sometimes Mm -hmm. when we're feeling so intensely, we sort of flip our lids and the thinking part of your brain can shut down. And all you're in is feeling. And so you're not necessarily thinking about your actions, but what you still are able to do is recognize when you're in that space and get, okay, right now I have some need. I am in this emotional state. Maybe I don't act out because all I'm doing is feeling right now. Mm -hmm. How can I address this feeling such to the point that my, my lid comes back down I'm able to put a little cap on these feelings and I can get back to thinking and I can handle getting what I have to get done, done without hurting myself, disrupting class, maybe getting myself in trouble. Mm-hmm. What are some of the ways that I can help to, to close that, that yeah. box of chaos Yeah, so that I can process what I'm doing and so that I'm not just lashing out. And for a child, even to have language—that's what I was saying. The
1: communication be, is a struggle
2: to describe. And how often do our children? And often, this this can happen with. I mean, it, I think this happens across the spectrum, mm-hmm. but especially, you know, we, we, you know, we're talking about gifted students. But I think, especially with gifted students, because there is so much focus on their thinking on, on their analytical maturity and their analytical gifts, Mm -hmm. oftentimes we can forget that developmentally, that neurologically, these are still children. And even if, you know, they're more mature, these are still people. Mm -hmm. And while the thinking part of your brain may be incredibly well-developed and you can master these really complex ideas, if we're not talking about the feeling part of your brain, we are doing these kids a disservice because they are thinking that they can just think their way out of anxiety. They can think their way out of rage. They can think their way out of hurt. And sometimes you just have to feel your feelings.
3: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's
2: the only way that we can get back to, okay, I can make an analytical decision. We have to help all of our students. And I think we see it on both extremes, we see it with twice exceptional children. We see it with uh, our, you know, students with you know disabilities or learning differences. But we also see it in our very gifted students that if we're not having those conversations, our kids are just living in those kinds of emotional extremes without the language to describe it, mm-hmm. and it really does begin to harm their academic process. And that can look like, you know, uh, on one end, that might look like disruptive behavior. On the other end, that might look like isolation and anxiety mm-hmm. and, you know, an inability to start a project. Avoidance. And- exactly. Yeah. Help students who we know are capable. Mm-hmm. Like, I know you can do this. This would take you five minutes to do. And we're trying to rationalize, like, why is this kid not doing this four question worksheet? Like, what is yeah. happening? Yeah. You come in and perform every day, every day. And, and the kid, I think, is just as confused. Mm-hmm, like there mm-hmm. are moments when we encounter these students and they're so locked in that flipped lid. They're so locked in the anxiety or the emotion or whatever the feeling is that they don't realize. If I actually, if I, if I did process this, if I did calm down, it's not that hard. We begin to build, you know, just the Mm -hmm. the feeling of I'm falling behind begins to compound in kids. Yes. And something that was really simple, like, please come see me at lunch becomes, well, I didn't go yesterday. And now she thinks I'm procrastinator. I Mm. didn't pick up that worksheet. Now she thinks I'm lazy and they're attaching all of these added feelings because we never help them to really understand, you know. Yeah. This thing happened with my friends and it made me anxious. And so instead of focusing in class, I was thinking about that and I did fall off that one day. So now I need to get that made up, but I'm still thinking about what's happening to my friends. So the next day is a little off them and, and, and that kind of snowball creates, mm-hmm. again, I think that happens across the spectrum. Yeah, but I don't think that we necessarily consider it or talk about it as much with mm-hmm. our students who are gifted and you know are typically very on top of of work we just expect oh they'll get it together Mm -hmm. or somehow they reset
1: yeah Um, they'll be fine (laughs) exactly yeah Yeah. Yeah.
2: absolutely yeah we just go oh they'll work it out and eventually Mm -hmm. they come into class and they're Back to themselves, we go. Okay, that's over, mm-hmm. and we never even ask, like, "Hey, what was going on last week?" It's just like, "Okay, cool, they worked it out for themselves," and I can, you know, not yes. have to worry about that because they're back to performing the way I need them to. And again, not to put that pressure on us as teachers or on any teacher that you are sort of monitoring every child's mental sure. well-being every day, but in those moments being willing to open that door being willing to maybe for ourselves add that extra task of hey what was up and sometimes just ask opening the door if the student wants to talk about it yeah i don't think we force kids into it but sure, just say, yeah hey, Catherine, yesterday you seemed a little off to hear is everything okay with something going on i just want to make sure you're doing all right and i want to let you know like if if you're ever off, just let me know because we can work through it. I don't want you to fall behind. I don't want you to feel like you got to work through this by yourself. But letting them know that talking about things is is okay and acceptable. And, and understanding in our own right, you know, I'm not a counselor, not a therapist, not a psychologist, but there are people in our schools, there are people on our teams that can help students that can give assistance to students. I just, I've been, I've been talking a lot about, um, you know, student mental health and teacher mental health lately. Mm -hmm. Um, and this conversation, I don't know it is. That's
1: so important though. And I feel like people don't talk about it sometimes. And that's something I've learned through the past few years, how valuable it is and how much like, you're gonna get so much more you're gonna get them to do the work that you need them to do you're gonna and, and I just like make your classroom a better place to be yes. I feel like yes. a better classroom like culture and climate yeah and and I just feel like you're gonna see them go places they wouldn't have gone if we stop and invest and take the time to just like you said like ask them and just have some like I don't know if patience is the word but I feel like I've had to just remind myself that like like we've said, like they're humans and they're going through things and be more understanding and empathetic.
2: Like Like, you, you just hit the nail on the head. I mean, we, we have the new portrait of the graduate mm -hmm. and, and empathy is one of those durable skills. And Mm -hmm. we talk about like, you know, and it's, it's a real, it's a real complexity for teachers to deal with. But I think Sometimes when we look at those kinds of skill collaboration, critical thinking, empathy, and, and the first response is, well, like, how do you grade that? How do you judge that? Like, what are the, you know, what is a rubric for empathy? Mm -hmm. It's in those conversations. Some of these durable skills are taught via modeling. Mm -hmm. Some of those durable (laughs) skills are taught via how we create our classrooms. Because here's the thing. That is a transferable skill because if I show understanding and empathy to a student, whether I'm showing it like, you know, if I were your teacher, whether I'm showing it to you directly in this moment, Catherine, and you get to experience it or you are observing me Mm -hmm. offer it to Chad or Josh and you go, huh, oh, she was really understanding to them. So when it happens to me, I feel comfortable doing it. Or if it is you and you had that one-on-one experience, the next day when Tommy two seats over is really annoying or Lauren two seats down just seems weird, you are more prone to go, huh, maybe this other person also having an off day. Maybe I'm not going to take this weird interaction personally. Mm -hmm, Maybe mm -hmm. I'm going to be empathetic and understand that, Maybe they're having an off day too. Yes. Yes. I love that. That's that's where classroom culture is, is affected. That's where I think some of those durable skills that at first seem really, really intangible mm-hmm. can get really concrete in simple ways. Yeah. And we don't even understand as a teacher how modeling that behavior leads our students to visit empathy and understanding and care on other people. Mm -hmm. Like it's a thing that when you experience it, you go, hey, if I want to keep getting this, should offer it to other people. And you can watch the culture in a classroom change. Mm -hmm. You can watch kids go, no, no, no. Catherine's just off today. Leave her alone. No, it's not weird. You ain't got to know her business. Just Mm -hmm. leave it alone. And the other kid will go, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. And you move on. Where, you know, in in past generations, that would have to be a conversation about bullying or potentially teasing or so on and so forth. I think when we begin to have some of these conversations that are grounded in emotional care and responsibility and balance, Mm -hmm. we see the classroom culture and ultimately school culture change. Kids do become more understanding. And I will give a huge credit, I think, to this generation of students that, you know, while interpersonal dynamics remain, like we, we are always, you know, trying to help students understand like people's ability to be an individual and that that should be respected or uh, that we do have communal responsibilities. We can't just be like, I, 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 me, me, me all the mm-hmm. time. Yeah. We do need to care about other people. I will say of, um, you know, Generation Alpha or Generation Z, That a lot of the interpersonal understanding and respect of individual difference, these kids are walking in the door, Mm -hmm. understanding all kinds of people in the world. They may not have encountered them, Mm -hmm. but I think they have a greater understanding and respect for the diversity of, of lived experience. And, you know, social media has something to do with that yeah definitely seeing other people live their lives Mm -hmm. oh okay that's not how I live my life but they seem happy they seem cool different is okay um a lot of a lot of sense of of kind of understanding and things that I had to either teach or try to model explicitly I'm not having to have some of the same conversations because these kids do whether they care about each other at least respect that you have the right to be different.
1: Yeah. And I I love that you like say that cuz I just feel like so many times you know i feel like when people when we talk about like the newer generations or we talk about like the younger you know whoever and, and i feel like this is like throughout d- different generations absolutely i feel like we don't always like notice those things or like point absolutely. out those positivity positives. positives yeah i feel positives. like they want to be like what's with this generation these days like and
2: and trust. That's what we here as a millennial there are things i would, i'm like what what sure. are you even i doing? don't understand i don't understand <laughs> yeah but- But I think it's got to be, again, and I think it has to do with that, some of that being the reciprocity that you want as a teacher who's with young people all day. Yeah. You got to give people their props. Mm -hmm. And I I do my best to give my students in whatever generation and whatever iteration they're in the props they deserve. Mm -hmm. Like there's some stuff y'all are getting right that I didn't get right when I was in high school. Yeah, it took me
1: a long time to come around to.
2: Yes, there's yeah. some things you are walking in the door and you just get. Mm-hmm. There's some other things that I knew that we gotta work on you knowing. Sure. <laughs> so sure. Some, some basic skills and yeah. Some self-care. Yeah. But you know, I, I gotta teach you, no, nah, no, nah, player. There's still some things for you to yeah. learn. Yeah. But socially and interpersonally, I I think that the kids are all right a lot yeah. more than they get they get credit for being. Um, and again, I think even the skills that they need to learn or some of the the social deficits mm-hmm. that other generations may see in them, like kids don't raise themselves, mm-hmm. make the, the society that they're growing up in. So even the things that I'm like, this generation, I got to go, but how did you facilitate that? Yeah. How adult? did you get to that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whether And granted, you know, we're not the parent of every child we teach, but we are adults creating the world in which these kids are living. Mm-hmm. So what role did the choices of my generation play in what you're responding to? Mm-hmm. How did the choices I made in my twenties and thirties create the reality that a kid who's 12 or 13 or 14 is living in today? And how do we, how do we navigate that? Because despite how it feels, um, we, we are in this together with, with differing levels of responsibility and differing levels of maturity, but, but we are in this together and we do all have to be part of the conversation. And I can't just go, you know, out, cause I remember that feeling. And I think that's really important for teachers to, to go back to those moments where you're like, I am a whole person and the adults in my world are not seeing that. Like Mm. I am being reduced to my age or my generation or my Mm -hmm. feelings are not being validated because my life isn't as complex as an adult. But we have to force ourselves to remember, I think, that at every age we have ever been, we were a whole person. Whether we had the words to express it, Mm -hmm. we were a whole person. When you were seven, there were things you were anxious about. There were things that were important to you. Mm-hmm. When you were 10, there were things that gave you confidence and there were things that mortified you. There were things that gave you pride and there were things that shamed you. There were things you were enthusiastic about and things you were scared of and your feelings were real, even if the the context was really simple. Mm-hmm. The response was real. You were really feeling like I dropped my plate and my corn went everywhere, and everybody in the seventh grade saw it. That mortification—it
0: was big, real. Mm -hmm. Like
2: I have to come back to this group of people tomorrow, and they're all going to call me Corn Girl because you know the tray fell and it was in my hair. And you can tell me, "Hey, it's not a big deal." everybody will forget tomorrow mm-hmm. but in that moment that is feels big
1: mm-hmm. yes and guess exactly. what like
2: in your seventh grade world somebody's gonna call you corn girl yeah.
1: yeah they probably are
2: like yeah that is that is, that is life because yeah. we see the same things happen in our 20s when you go to a frat party and somebody does something crazy mm-hmm. or somebody says something wild at a faculty meeting and we're mm-hmm. all like what was up with Catherine? Like, Mm -hmm. where did that question come? Like, we are social creatures and we are all, whatever context we're existing in is our most important context. And it does influence how we make it through our day. Yeah. I think just, and again, that doesn't mean the world stops. But I think- It's a
1: balance and you have to teach them that balance. Yes.
2: And I think just for teachers to, to remind ourselves- Not only of our humanity in today, but that we have been where our students are Mm
3: -hmm.
2: and we have felt those feelings. And how do we create classrooms that allow us to be understanding of the complexities of life while holding a strong and high standard? For your academic participation and growth. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, despite all of those things, I, I understand my duty is to teach you a curriculum and to give you the skills you need to move forward. Like that's got to be my, as a as an educator, yeah. that's got to be my first and highest priority. Mm-hmm. How I do that is where a lot of the relationships and all of those, how effective I can be in my number one sort of responsibility is influenced by that. But I I think in in the in the data push
3: mm-hmm.
2: of what are we measuring and how are we measuring and what are we tracking, some of that humanity and not just like I said, not just the emotional humanity of oh this kid is sad or oh this kid is hurt. But just the complexities of navigating adolescence and young adulthood, mm-hmm. we, we've got to we've got to take a moment and 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 remember that. And I think the unique needs of our current generation of students demand that.
1: Yeah. Um.
2: You know, not to tie, and we we tie everything you know to pre and post COVID, but that was a seminal event. That mm-hmm. was unprecedented, and we can't just go sort of back to business as usual. Because for our students, that is usual. Mm -hmm,
3: mm -hmm. The
2: realities and the effects of what that time alone and away from each other and experiencing that, that was a seminal moment in how these kids are going to develop moving forward. And it's not just a matter of, oh, well, you just dust yourself off and you you pull it together because now everything's normal. Those kids' brains were developing during that period and we have to be cognizant. and it may be you know 10 20 years before we understand what were some of the ch- true sort of neurological and psychological impacts of that mm-hmm. but we have to treat what we're seeing as a reality not just a okay this is still holding on but if i just keep trucking through eventually yeah. they'll let go we'll get back, back to normal yes but yeah. like, there's a new normal yeah. yeah and we have to we have to figure out ways to you know achieve our consistent goal which has always been the case but what that our pedagogy is going to look different yeah our pedagogy's got to look different yeah the outcomes can remain the same but but our pedagogy has to look different do you have an academically talented child who's looking for a challenging and exciting summer program Summer Institute for the Gifted provides innovative academic programs for exceptional students from all over the world. Enroll now at some of the top universities in the country, including UNC Chapel Hill for courses like Robotics, Creative Writing, and Neuroscience. These courses are designed to engage and inspire your child, allowing them to grow into the next best version of themselves. To learn more and enroll, visit our website at giftedstudy.org. I'm so glad we had that conversation
1: because I think that that was just all so, so important and not talked about enough. And just, I feel like goes to show like one of the reasons why you're the teacher of the year, like that is just beautiful that you believe all of that and can so eloquently advocate for for students and teachers. Um, so teacher of the year, I Yay! I would just love it. If you could just give us a glimpse of of what that process looked like. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a, a snippet of what it looks like. Cause I had a close friend go through the process a few years Yay! ago and I just think it's fascinating. And, and I feel like it's one of those things that a lot of people just don't know about, but it's yeah, really like, yeah. interesting.
2: Yes, absolutely. I'd be happy to. And, and I will sort of um, preface you know, my answer with the fact that the process can look different um between definitely between states, but certainly even in our state between years. Um, there, there are slight changes to the program as time passes and, and mm-hmm. we you know begin to improve. But for me, uh it followed what has been a pretty traditional pattern in that it began with being nominated and selected in my school, which remains Probably the, the next two, of course, you know, being named teacher of the year, the greatest part of this entire process was having that recognition from my peers. Mm -hmm. Um, I like, like anybody, you know, you learn so much from these people and these are the people that you truly are doing your life with Mm -hmm. professionally every day. Like these are the people who know me and whose respect I, I hold most high um, so for them to recognize something meaningful in my teaching meant a lot. So after um, the the school level, there were um, essays and a site visit at my district uh, by my district as part of the district process and you're named district teacher of the year. And then there are additional essays and site visits and some panel interviews with Panels of your colleagues and parents and students and your administration and an observation of, of course, my teaching and a one-on-one interview um, with me. And then I was named regional teacher of the year in the fall of 2022. And the final phase is those nine teachers from the nine the eight regions of our state plus the charter school teacher of the year we went through the process for state teacher of the year which was um additional interviews and um asking questions about our experience and about our educational passions and that ultimately resulted in my being named uh state teacher of the year and i i would be remiss if i didn't note that um While there is one named teacher of the year, I serve with a team of regional teachers of the year who are outstanding educators and incredible and exceptional leaders in our field from the the mountains to the coast. And quite honestly, with the size of our state, we have 1.5 million kids. We have 100,000 teachers. You know, while I have been named to be an ambassador for both of those groups, it is work that takes far more than just me to to achieve and accomplish. And, and the regional teachers of the year, their voices within their region and, and across the state remain um vital parts of this process. But that's sort of what it looks like in a in a nutshell. Um lots of lots of conversations, lots of classroom visits and and lots of, of writing about sort of some of the things we've even talked about, like what my, what my passions are and where I think our profession's headed and what I think is best for our students and what's needed right now.
1: And what an exciting opportunity to, to oh my gosh. make your voice heard and Absolutely. get to be, you know, part of those conversations and, and, and get, and, and that's I feel like probably like a big I don't want to say a weight on your shoulders, but that is an important job, and oh, it's I'm a sh-
2: huge, it's a huge responsibility. It is a huge responsibility, and and probably I mean and not probably I know one that is is larger and in some ways more taxing than anyone could have prepared me for because, like all of us, even if you are you know abreast of what's happening in the field your students are your number one priority. Mm
3: -hmm. Your
2: students, your classroom, your lesson plans, your grading, your lunch duty, your ball game duty, your faculty meetings, your IEP meetings. That's our world. As rightfully it should be as a classroom teacher. And so to be pulled from that um, and to now, instead of having, you know, my typical 140, 150 kids, to truly have 1.5 million that you mm-hmm. care for and you want the best for, and you're trying to advocate for, it's different. And the view at 10,000 feet, when we're looking at 115 school districts, yeah, 100 counties, 100,000 colleagues, when you're looking at some of those broader issues, it's it's different. It is a completely, you know, different reality than my day to day of you know today in ancient Greece or. Today in writing a, a thoughtful response to text, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's there's not a lot of lessons on essay writing when you are advocating or trying to give feedback um, to the state board on really important policy or giving the insight from a classroom teacher. It, it's a it's a significant shift, but it's one that I have um, grown tremendously in and felt incredibly honored and. And definitely a significant responsibility to try to carry out well and to amplify what I'm getting to hear from teachers like you and teachers from across our state. I think there are amazing things happening in our schools. And I I don't believe that teachers who are showing up every day when they didn't have power the night before, (laughs) um, who are showing up for other people's children every day. Um, I'm I'm not certain that they're getting the the credit that they deserve for that dedication. Um, I think there's teachers across our state who are solving significant problems um, and and facing realistic challenges from food insecurity to student mental health um, to socioeconomic realities that our students have to contend with. There are people every day who are not, paid as well as they should be, Mm -hmm. who are choosing to put other people's children um, as a priority in their lives and they're solving those problems. And I think that a lot of the issues that we're facing statewide and nationally are being solved in, in schools every day. And I think those solutions deserve more exposure. I think those solutions deserve to be amplified because I think some of the answers to the greatest problems we face are gonna come from our classrooms. With all respect to our leaders and the hard work that they do to our Mm -hmm. legislators and our state level leaders who are very dedicated in their own right, I do believe that some of the best solutions are gonna come out of authentic classrooms. And there is a teacher somewhere in North Carolina who is solving and addressing and closing gaps And their voice just needs to be amplified. Mm -hmm. And and I hope that in my work as Teacher of the Year, I can do some of that, even if it's just in sharing about my site visits or, you know, being able to to lend my megaphone to the great things that are happening in our schools.
0: We're going to push the pause button for just a second to share some really exciting news. NCAGT's annual conference is heading to Greensboro, North Carolina on March 14th and 15th, 2024. This is an event you won't want to miss. For the latest updates on registration, keynotes, and all the things conference-related, head over to ncagt.org. And here's the best part. If you have a burning question or need more information, we've got you covered. Just shoot us an email at conference at ncagt.org. All right, let's get back to it. Throughout the experience of Teacher of the Year, how have
1: you seen yourself grow? Like, what opportunities oh for growth have you had?
2: Oh my goodness! Um, I yeah, there are so many. Uh, a big part, as I said, have has come from just the chance to be in the number of classrooms I've had the chance to be in. Um, when I return in whatever capacity to serving students. I am going to be so much better. I'm like the idea that someone was like, no, Kim, you're great. We're naming you teacher of the year. When I come back to serving students, there are so many things I'm going to change in my classroom. Oh my gosh. No Think change. of the, the things you've seen and yes, been exposed exactly, to. That's,
3: yeah. I'm like, Oh
2: my gosh, I've been doing this, but I saw this, you know, this teacher in Stanley County or this teacher in Union County. And I'm like, why wasn't I doing that before? And I get to not only bring that to my students, but to my department. So thing number one, I know I'll be different because I have learned from masters in across our state. Um, so there's that. Um, number two, I will say, recognizing um the the power of teacher voice to be an advocate and to be able to say no mm-hmm. eighteen years in the classroom, that experience is a is expertise mm-hmm. and that voice deserves to be heard and being able to, ask questions about policy as an advisor to the state board or to raise teacher voice and teacher concern Um, to be able to interject when things um, aren't clear. Or I think like, I don't know how that's going to translate to teachers or Mm -hmm. as a classroom teacher, like what you're saying doesn't make sense. So how can we get this in, in clearer language or more precise language? Or how can we actually make this more applicable to the everyday classroom? The chance to recognize my own expertise and the importance of teacher voice um you know again when you're in your classroom every day that's your focus and so for someone to say no your voice matters in in shaping or influencing or giving thought to policy the chance to sort of see um to to use a really colloquial phrase, how the sausage gets made and what goes into policy um, has been incredibly eye-opening. I've learned so much um, about um, just educational policy and the needs and some of the factors that as a classroom teacher, we just don't have privy to like how our budget is created and mm-hmm. where different line items come from and you know it's like when you're in yeah. the classroom you're like you know I need this for this reason mm-hmm. is there money for it and yeah when someone says yes you're like cool and when someone says no you're like why not we just got new fill in the blank that actually yeah. comes from another pot of money like we don't know we anything. don't see the
1: whole picture
2: no because we're
1: here because we're right oh, here God. in the room
2: and your head is down putting out tiny little fires every day. Oh, yeah. little fires. So you don't, you don't think about like, what are, what is the line item for blah, 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 how is FTE calculated or why are class sizes like they are? Mm-hmm. So just access to that. And I think part of that can be overwhelming and I'm not going to lie to say I'm that it sure. wasn't. When you go from like the expertise of your classroom to seeing everything that makes up the system and and the reality is that none of us who work either in classrooms or on the policy side, we all know what we know, even at, you know, even at the state level or even at DPI, there's people are, are experts in what they do. Even they don't fully see how all of the systems are are interconnected. They know that they are, but you're doing your daily work. And to have one of those rare positions where you see a little bit of everything um, is really eye-opening from the opportunity of ways that I can continue to advocate for teaching after this year, um, but also just increasing my own knowledge of when changes Are are handed to me as a classroom teacher. Understanding some of, better understanding where some of these processes and policies came from and how it got to us is is huge. Um, just from my, you know, from my own, uh, experience as a as a classroom teacher. So I've learned so much. I think the opportunity to speak to EPPs and beginning teachers has probably been my favorite thing. And it's largely because that's the closest that I've been to being back in a classroom. Like I'm talking to 19, 20 year olds and I could have taught those kids Mm -hmm. Uh, there. The Q&A is hands down my favorite with beginning teachers because they do have a passion for our field. I know that, you know, even if I have, I'm in year 18 now, even if I have another 15 years in my career, the kids I'm talking to right now will be me 15 years from now. What can I either help them with right now so that they stick it out and make it to year 18? Mm -hmm. Or what can I gift them um, as as a benefit of my own experience so that that first year is a, is a little easier. I mean, everybody gets, and I don't know if you did because you were talking about um, coming in eight years ago, but I mean, so many people gave me, um, and God bless him, Harry Wong's, you know. Yes, I got that. I got that whenever I graduated. Yes, everybody <laughs> gives you Harry Wong's the first days of school. and Yes. Like, and, but Ooh. then you have those days where you're like, Harry Wong did not talk about this. No, school. he didn't prepare me for, for this one. No, yeah. Carrie did not talk about early dismissal on a tornado day or the day that, you know, a student passes away or a day that there's a massive fight in the cafeteria. Like, I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I'm looking at in the index and I'm like, there's a child crying in my room right now. Yeah. That's not in the first season of school. So um, being able to actually answer some of those questions and even the questions that are driven by uncertainty or anxiety, which we all had. Letting beginning teachers know that that's a safe space because even with mentorship, which is incredible, and there are exceptional mentors doing the work of helping beginning teachers survive, I'm going to be fully transparent and say, as a beginning teacher, even when I had questions, there is an anxiety around being seen as a professional. Mm -hmm. And there are questions you are not going to ask the same way that our kids sit in a classroom and are like, am I going to raise my hand or not raise my hand? Am I going to raise my hand yes. or not? Like, it's too late for me to- It's to too not late. This. I should
1: already know this.
2: Yes. Yeah. And yeah. so I want to, in as much as I can, especially with those BTs and pre-service teachers, you know, we say to kids, there's not a stupid question. I am trying to say to BTs in this moment, There is no judgment. I am your colleague and I'm your colleague who wants you to survive. Mm -hmm. So by all means, if there is an anxiety-fueled question, if it's a pedagogy-fueled question, please ask me and understand that my answer is not the answer, but I'm going to do my best to give you an answer that you can work through. Um, you know, your own personality, your own teaching style, that you can combine it with what your mentor will be able to offer you as someone working with your specific group of kids. But I want to make it safe for BTs to ask those questions as simple or as complex as they are, because that level of assistance is what makes you show up day mm-hmm. one through day 180. It makes it's, it's what makes you show up the next year. Or when you cry or when mm-hmm. grades are due for the first time and you're like, oh my God, I didn't know there were going to be so many papers, or I didn't know
1: all of Just these so many things, things. There's yes. so many little things and it all piles up. And, and I and I just
2: says, Oh, come to me, ask me, let me yeah. know. But you know, and that's the, that's the rub. You know, as a beginning teacher, that everything you're sort of worried about with your group of students, you know that colleague has their own set. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it feels really selfish to go, I know you were teaching an extra period, but can you tell me one more time how to do this or this? Ha-? Like, mm-hmm. you don't want to look incompetent. But I can say in year 18 that, and and Dudley Flood said this first. And as soon as he said it, I was like, Yes, sir. Um, he said, you know, our schools of ed teach us what to teach. Mm. They give us some methods. But you learn how to teach on the job. Oh, yeah. You learn how to teach on the job. So how can I know that as a a veteran teacher and offer some of that to pre-service and beginning teachers? And how can I talk to my fellow veteran colleagues about, again, the same way that we talk about the humanity of our students? reminding us of the humanity of, of our beginning teacher colleagues. And, and that becomes more difficult based on the realities of what the teaching pipeline looks like when it's really hard to have a mentor when seven people on your team are BTs. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the most experienced person has five years. Mm-hmm. And they're doing the best they can. Yes. It's Mm -hmm. really hard to be a mentor when you're like, i just got a full license. I don't feel like an adult in this situation. Like I'm trying, but (laughs) yeah, I get that. But but there's somebody who's coming in literally brand new and you're like, well, Mm -hmm. I do know how to make copies. Yeah. 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 That's the re that's the reality of teaching right now. There are so many of us that within the first four years of our career were team leads Mm-hmm. I was a team lead in my third year in the classroom. Okay. I did not have a full license. Yeah, I was a team lead Oh, mm-hmm. uh, people had been teaching 10, 15 years, but by their own, you know to to uh in regard of their realities, they were coaching sports, they were raising kids. They were doing 12 other things in the school. so saying, hey, be a team lead too was not an option. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, sure, I'll do it. and they were like, we'll help you through it, Kim. It's, it's not, I just can't have it on my plate. And so mm-hmm. I take it on. But that level of leadership can be really significant depending on, you know, if you're teaching English 10 and it's an EOC course, or if you're teaching fifth grade or eighth grade or one of the, you know, end of grade courses, one of those AYP courses, when you're still in year three or four and you're in charge of a team, when that data comes out, the principal's meeting with you. Mm. And that's that's the that, you know, those are some of the realities that we're currently seeing in our schools. And that has to be part of the conversation. Yes. Of what definitely. is the support of not just beginning teachers, but teachers who are being pushed into leadership from default. Mm-hmm. You know, not because they're necessarily wanting it, but because no, you're the most experienced here. Yeah. You know, we have a whole bunch of people who are who are really great, but, you know, I've got a department that's predominantly new teachers. You with eight years are going to become chair. Mm-hmm. You're going to become the mentor while you're still trying to grow on your own practice. And I just think we have to, administrators need to be thoughtful of that. Teachers have to be thoughtful of that. And, you know, there's a lot of conversation right now around transparency with parents, which I absolutely support. I want parents to be fully invested, but sometimes transparency with parents looks like this is the reality of our teaching staff. Fourth grade is made up of four brand new teachers and one teacher with five years of experience. Mm -hmm. While we are going to make your children a priority, while we are always going to work to meet our professional responsibility. We need you as a school community to understand that these people are new to the profession Mm -hmm. and there may be some growing pains. And we never want that to come at the cost of our students or their learning or their growing, but they will require grace. And we need you to join us in that. We are committed to your kids, but we don't know everything yet either.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's and if you get did. those hired positions because we've yes. been dealing with a lot of of unfilled positions, and Absolutely. people people are you know teaching and they're doing a great job, but that wasn't necessarily the job that they were they they no. were hired for, or yes. or they've been yes. pulled from across the county. We have a lot of that going on, yes. And and I think it's like we don't have a choice but to be transparent at this point, and yes. and it
2: just takes understanding on all parties that we are all doing the best we can for them. Exactly. And how do we supplement Mm -hmm. what is happening in schools? Like what can parents do and understanding that they have their own work life balances to balance, but how do we share that responsibility in a way that keeps students at the forefront? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we, you deserve to know what's happening And we deserve to to share with you your part in supporting that success. Yeah. It takes a village.
1: Takes a village for them kiddos. Um, I I do want to ask you one more question about teacher of the year process. Um, And if there's people who are entering into the process, you know, maybe they have um, been named the teacher of the year for their school and maybe they're entering into their county process or even to the state level. Do you have any like advice for those people um, who are entering into that process?
2: Absolutely. Um, I, I want them, you know, for the the over 40 years that North Carolina has had a, a state teacher of the year and you know, I'm sure the decades before that we've had local level teachers of the year, they've all looked different. Um, my predecessors looked different. They were stellar and incredible leaders in their own right, but I could not be last year's Leah Carper, I could not be uh, 2021's Eugenia Floyd, even though we're in the same school district. Um, So I I would say to not model yourself or feel like you have to model yourself after Mm -hmm. anyone else. Um, Understand that your unique talents and skills as a teacher and an advocate are what brought you to this point. And um, to keep that at your core. To keep that at your core, to, to keep your passion for education, your teaching philosophy at the center of your answers, of your essays, of your interviews, and understand that exceptional teaching looks as different as there are the number of classrooms in a building, as there are schools in a district. And, you know, there are 115 district teachers of the year across North Carolina. And that looks different because our kids look different because our schools look different because mm-hmm. our needs look different. Um, and so at every, at every step, don't be, don't feel overwhelmed by a title or a process or perceived competition. As much as we know that education is a collaborative effort and we collaborate Um, processes like teacher of the year, there are moments where it feels like competition, but please know that you're not in competition with anyone else. Um, This is about you sharing your passion, your leadership, your thoughts, your ideas, your vision for education um, with those around you and using if it's in your school, um, if it's in your district. In some districts, the teacher of the year joins the superintendent advisory council, understanding that who you are is what opened that door Mm -hmm. and it's what will continue to open that door. Um, The other thing I would say is take advantage, take advantage of every opportunity. I've talked a lot about how I've grown and changed and how I know I'll be a different teacher moving forward. Take advantage of every opportunity to extend your skill set, to get into other classrooms, to, to actually sort of pay attention to some of those broader issues that when we're in our classroom with our kids, we don't have, and I'll, I'll call it what it is, we don't have the luxury to be like, oh, I'm going to read this 15-page article about AI and K-12, um, to find those areas, those issues that are most closely aligned to what you're passionate about, and grow your practice. I'm 18 years in, and there's something... Different that I have learned every year, most of that from my colleagues, but a lot of that is from, um, you know, as surprising it may seem, my BTs who are coming in with new methods, with new understanding, with a different generational uh, connection to my students, always being willing to improve your practice because. Our kids are changing. And as much as I know and as much expertise as I have, I'm not an expert on next year's kids because I've never taught them before. Yeah, And they are a unique group of kids. And so I have to be open to how are these kids different? And what do I need to do differently to get the same results that I got with last year's kids, who I'm now an expert on because I've had them for 180 days. Mm-hmm. So yes, there are developmental norms but every crop of kids is going to be different because this is the first time they've been in fifth grade. Might be the 19th time I've taught fifth grade, but this is their first time in fifth grade. And so, being open to growing yourself, growing yourself as an educator, which can be hard Mm -hmm. given all the constraints that we know are happening in schools from resources to access to PD. It's hard. Mm -hmm. Like there There are teachers who are like, oh my God, I would love to go to the math conference, or I would love to go to the English conference, or I would love to present at the social studies conference. And there's just not resources in their district. And so I remain cognizant of it's not a lack of wanting to, but availing ourselves as much as possible of things like NCAT, the North Carolina Center for the Advancement of Teaching that offers free and virtual trainings, um, taking, like I said, that five, 10 minutes to read an ed weekly article or to read about a, a new practice or to look at a new idea or even on the smallest scale, Catherine, to get into your own school and, you know, it's harder. I will not lie and say it's the same for secondary um, and K-8 teachers because of planning periods and when you're always with your mm-hmm. kids, you've got these. I'm not going to lie and say it's easy, but in as much as possible to make use of your PLC time. To go, hey Catherine, how did you teach scene? Mm-hmm. You know, my kids are my kids are struggling with uh, tone. Do you have a lesson? What does that look like? And if you are in the secondary level and you have that p- protected planning time you know, if you're on block to take 30 minutes out of that 90 minute block and go sit in a colleague's classroom and watch how some of the greatest PD I've ever gotten has happened in my building. But it does take a significant sacrifice of, I got all these papers, I got all these yeah, the to do list. Yes, like <laughs> a very real and, and, you know, prioritize action list. But I also know that the last time I taught parallel structure, it did not it didn't turn all the way over. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to take these 30 minutes and go watch my next door neighbor do it and see if I can get better. Yeah, I'm going to talk to them about. That's so it. true.
1: I've seen that so many times. And, and that is very true that it's some of the most powerful PD sometimes because I've had times and it's, it was so valuable when we got to go into a classroom and just watch and I think people have no idea what they're doing sometimes that is amazing to someone else. Like people just don't realize it. And and you have these people who do these simple things sometimes yes. and you're like, oh my gosh, that's so brilliant. I wish I would have done that. Like I never would have thought of to do that. And that person's like, I always do this. What are you talking about? So I, I completely agree. I think that is some of the most powerful and yes, it does take time and planning and all those things, but but getting into people in your in your building and just experiencing their classroom and the way they talk to their kids and the way they teach
2: yes. things, you're, I, and, I completely am like agree with that 100%. Some, sometimes it's, we both teach Catherine. She has a C for me and an A for you. Mm, yeah. What does what your classroom look like? Sometimes it's, I teach English and you teach math, but everybody told me you got classroom management a lot. And I'm really struggling with a similar group of kids in my sixth period that you teach in second. I just want to watch and see how you run your classroom. I have sat in so many math classes that might as well have been a class in Mandarin because I did not understand what was being said, Mm -hmm. but I saw what was happening. I saw the the procedures and the routines and I saw how that teacher was leading their classroom. And no, I didn't know what anybody was talking about. But I saw how they had kids in small groups or I saw how they were doing blended tutoring or I saw how, you know, they had systems in place for late homework and makeups and so on and so forth. And I was able to take those things back to my English class. So understand that some of those observations are not necessarily going to be in your grade level or in your subject matter, but it's about best practice and best practice is universal.
1: Definitely. Definitely.
2: All right. Well,
1: I don't want to take any more of your time since we've already <laughs> gone over our time, but this so has worried. just been a treat, Kim. And I just want to thank you so much um, You're so welcome, Catherine, for just sharing all of your wisdom and your, your open mindedness and just willingness to grow. And, um, so I, I just really appreciate everything that you've shared. And I can't wait to hear um, hear you speak at the NCAGT con- NCAGT conference this
2: year. Well, I'm super excited to meet you in person. <laughs> oh, yes, definitely. Um, I, I just want to I want to thank you for your time and the great conversation. And um, again, to to everybody, like what we do is not easy. Um, but our our calling is is too important to, to not lean in. Um, and the, the returns on our investment are immeasurable. Um, so, you know, whoever is out there and is listening, um, thank you. Thank you for, for joining in, into this, to this calling, because <laughs> it's gotta be a calling. Mm-hmm. Um, there are too many realities. It ain't just a job. Um, thank you for, for accepting this calling. And I, I hope that you, you know, in every week or at least in every month, find another why that makes you show up the next day. If it's a kid, if it's an assignment, if it's a laugh with a colleague, I hope that you are able to find a why in, in, you know, in every week. And thank you. Thank you for, for being my colleague in this work. And thank you for your dedication to our kids.
0: And there you have it. We truly appreciate your time spent with us today. If you enjoyed this episode of They'll Be Fine, please consider sharing your thoughts. Leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Audible would mean the world to us, but we understand if it feels like a lot. Even a quick five-star rating or sharing this episode on your own social media can make a significant impact. Your support helps us reach more families and educators who are navigating and advocating for their gifted loved ones. We hope you'll join us on our next episode as we sit down with another amazing stakeholder in the gifted community. Until then, take care.